Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode with Ben Lockwin. Today, we're going to consider the topic of prevention beats correction 100% of the time. Ben, in a best practices compliance program, they're generally considered to be three prongs, prevent, detect, and remediate. Uh, detect is, is simply that. Hopefully, you've got a system in place that will pick up a violation should it occur. But many companies have found that by moving to prevention or even pre- prescribing something uh, before it becomes a violation or even worse, a violation. Breaking of a law, it's much more cost effective. So I was incredibly intrigued with your thoughts about prevention beats correction 100% of the time. Can you tell us uh, what that means to you? Yeah, absolutely. So thanks for having me back, Tom. I think as far as prevention is concerned, you know, in in the healthcare industry, pharmaceutical manufacturing, medical devices, um, hospitals, clinical practice centers there is um, a piece of documentation which really represents a process called CAPA, C-A-P-A, and uh, the acronym is for Corrective Action, Preventive Action. And that was kind of where I was taking my thinking from, where if you install a preventive action, it makes something uh, almost impossible or hopefully uh, impossible to recur. So instead of doing remediation after the fact, which would be your corrective action, you really want to get to the point where you have better processes and systems in place which essentially design out or prevent the problems from occurring wholesale. Now, an example of this, I guess the quickest example I could come up with was if there were current and continuous documentation errors uh, which were leading folks to think that there were probably compliance issues to be found within, let's say, financial documentation publishing or expense reports or anything like that, the best way to go about engineering a solution would be to take the human out of the equation entirely, essentially. The next best step would be to say, if we've got a system where someone's inputting expense reports or financial calculus, have it be that they cannot uh, move forward with the documentation until the calculations have been verified by, let's say, internally in the system. So you can't have... uh, errors within the program that uh, get passed on to somebody else, which may be missed by the human eye. So really designing out problems is the point of prevention beats correction. Um, Anytime you can have a system or a process that makes it more and more difficult to do something incorrectly, the higher your likelihood of doing things properly, which then means you've brought compliance to a point of really at the operational levels, things are less likely to go wrong, i.e. less likely to incur compliance issues because they just can't incur compliance issues. As you further operationalize uh, this uh, compliance down to this level, Ben, at what point should the compliance practitioner or the compliance professional, perhaps more correctly put, become involved? Should they be there as a subject matter expert, expert or resource through the frontline business person, or should they be more of a monitoring of a situation to see if any anomalies appear, or both? Yeah, I think both, at least initially. You know, it uh, it becomes very seductive to say, I can do all of this work as the compliance professional from arm's length. 
Uh, however, when it's a newly installed system, a newly installed set of processes, you really need to see how it's functioning on a day-to-day -day basis, where things may not be being detected, where potentially there are training gaps within the organization at the employee level. Uh, so I think it starts off with doing both so that you don't miss anything. I think once it becomes a, li a little bit more mature and rigorous is when the compliance practitioner or professional can back off a little bit and should in order to monitor that all the processes that have been put in place are doing what they're supposed to do. And that's just not going to happen if that person or that, uh, that office of compliance professionals is continuously watching all the people in the processes. The um, old notion of the Hawthorne effect, which was a famous psychological study at a Western Electric plant, basically showed that employees change their behavior when they're being watched. Right. And you know, the more the more scrutiny that's being put on the employees, they're not going to behave as they normally would. And initially, that could be a good thing. You would be less likely, hopefully, to miss compliance issues if you're watching people. But that's not how people prefer and that's not how people perform very well uh, in the long run. So you really have to say, we're allowing you to be empowered with these new processes. We're going to step back and then you continue monitoring more from a distance in order to say, are these processes working the way we need them to? And if not, that's where you would course correct, um, you know, and again, say uh, maybe it's retraining of the staff, maybe it's uh, developing new systems, putting new engineering uh, alternatives in place, which again, make it harder to do the wrong thing. But um, I think, you know, the, the best long-term solution is not to watch that pot, uh, else it'll never boil. Um, but if, you, if you've got nothing in place, then I think um, the best way to start is to do it um, both at the grassroots level and then also um, from the compliance office. I once worked with a company, Ben, where the chief compliance officer instituted a motto, make it hard to do the wrong thing, make it easy to do the right thing. So I was very intrigued when you use that phrase. Is that something that this process of moving from from what I would call detect and, and remediate and what you've called correction to a prevention or even proscribing the conduct, is that further operationalized compliance in your mind? Yeah, definitely. I think <clears throat> the more you can have the systems and processes do the right thing, the more that you're able to proscribe what the, the right answer looks like and prescribe uh, how employees are to function, then you've got a higher likelihood of things going the right way. And, you know, however you want to phrase that model, it really should be more difficult to do things uh, incorrectly. And if you've got a situation where you're really trying to design that into your corporate culture, through documentation, through workflows, then you're you're on the right path, I think. In a later episode, Ben, we're going to talk about uh, demonstrating the ROI of compliance, but I want to tease that a little bit because it really struck me when you talked about increasing efficiencies uh, by moving towards prevention. In my mind, you, you took away a lot of inefficiencies along the lines of having to engage a compliance department, perhaps having to engage a legal department, having to engage a lot of resources that are not actually out, out there helping you either develop a product or sell a product or a service. And you're having to do these staff functions uh, to correct something uh, that could have been uh, prevented if it had been picked up more quickly, more efficiently by those on the front line. So it really seems to me you've articulated a very strong reason 
for the business case for operationalizing compliance. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. I think preventive actions in the compliance suite look like standard operating procedures where everyone's following the same instructions to drive consistency. They look like uh, what are called Kanban systems, which are visual systems that they have in use in McDonald's and Starbucks, which show how much inventory should be kept in certain areas, how many units on a shelf. And this, again, prevents future issues by building consistency in the process. Um, you know, there's an example uh, at an ATM machine now, the ones that uh, I've been frequently using, you can't proceed with withdrawing money until after you've taken your card out of the machine. So this is a fully preventive action. Um, it used to be that you could walk away and your, your ATM debit card was still in the machine. And uh, this, this has been changed with essentially what's called a Pocoyoke device to make it uh, so that it's preventing people from leaving with their debit card in the machine. And that's the sort of mindset that we need to get to. Well, as someone who's done that and someone who has also bought his um, uh, flood insurance after the last hurricane, I certainly uh, now <laughs> fully appreciate that prevention beats, beats correction. Unfortunately, near, Ben, we're near the end of our time, but we've been visiting in today's episode on prevention beats correction 100% of the time. I hope you'll join us tomorrow for our next episode where we explore operationalizing compliance to the staff level. All right. Thank you, Tom. We look forward to uh, having the, the audience listen then. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Innovation and Compliance Podcast with Tom Fox. Embedding compliance in your organization is a key component to the business equation of operationalizing your compliance program. How can you do it? Learn more at fcpacompliancereport.com slash innovation.